0: Amen. How you guys doing? Good. It's good to be with you. You guys start on time up in this church. And you got good coffee. As a white guy, those two things are important. Uh, starting on time and good, trendy coffee. Um, man, it's, it's good to be with you. I think it's just my second time with you this morning. And so I, I really live in Toledo, and that, <laughs> that may bring me into some shame. You're like, it's just your second time? Uh, But I work for the denomination, I work for the district office, which means I bounce around a ton. My job is to, uh, like Donald just said, help churches make disciples who make disciples, who plant churches, who plant churches, uh, to to recruit, assess, coach, train church planners. And so you'll be familiar with Michael and you'll be familiar with uh, Will Henderson. You guys have been generous to them. I love you for that. Someone was about to clap for that. Why not? Grateful for your generosity in that. Uh, It's church planning Sunday, which means it's my job to get excited about church planning and make you excited about church planning. It's going to be easy for me, uh, because that's just what I do. It's who I am. It comes out of my pores. It may be a little bit harder for you, but I'll, I'll try to get you excited about it. I love church planning. I love church planning because God makes something out of nothing. In the same way he creates the world, it's called ex nihilo. The Latin term is called ex nihilo. He creates something out of nothing. So there's a big ball of nothingness, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And God, through His Word, just, matter of fact, let's just do something I used to do in youth ministry. Can everybody grab a whole ball of nothing? Just grab a ball of nothing. There you go, thank you. Yeah, just grab a ball of nothing. Yeah? Now make something. Okay, (laughs) Just just try to make something. I mean, this is amazing, God takes this chaos. He takes his darkness and his spirit is hovering over the waters and then he speaks. And into existence are the complexities and the beauties and the wonders that we see all around us every single day. It's called ex nihilo, out of nothing. I'm in this phase right now where I'm just living in the miracle of God. We just had our fourth child. Amen. Cue the ob- obligatory applause. Yes. The way that God Builds a child inside of a mother's womb. And then you get to watch that child come into the world. And then you get to watch that mother's body miraculously take care of that child. There's just something about it. The complexities and the beauties that surround us came out of nothing. Because that's who our God is. And that's what he does with church planting. He makes something out of nothing. Right? There's darkness. There's chaos in a corner of a city. There's no gospel presence. No Jesus presence there. And God transforms one life. One life he he, he searches after like that one sheep, and he goes and finds that one sheep. He picks them up. He turns them around. He sets their feet on solid ground, and then they can't help but tell somebody about Jesus. And then they tell somebody about Jesus. And now we have disciples making disciples, and what we have is a core team. That's what we call a core team in the church planting world. And that that young community, that new community, starts to push back the darkness because they're living in the light it's beautiful ex nilo out of nothing and today we get to watch that happen in Acts 16 Acts 16 is this fascinating study of a core team of the first three members of a core team and this is a crazy mixture of people if, if you ever want to do a study sometime do a study of Acts 16, go all the way through it. We won't have time today, but do a study yourself sometime. We're going to dissect and pull out what we can as, as Jesus makes something out of nothing in ancient Philippi. There is no, there is no Jesus presence there. There is no gospel presence. And, and Paul is going to travel there with his, his band of mif- misfits, and they're going to bring the gospel. And all of a sudden, we're going to have something out of nothing in Acts 16. You could turn there with me if you want to get there. I'll, I'll be there in a second. Really, this is a study of a dangerous church. It's a study of a dangerous church. And I say the word dangerous with all affection. I'll get to that later. But it's a study in how when the spirit of God is moving and the people of God move with that spirit, it creates danger. Danger for Satan. Danger for the cultural norms. Danger to our idol of comfort. When the spirit of God is moving and the people of God take risks and the people of God will be obedient and the people of God will get out of their church chairs and the people of God will serve and love and go on mission, it creates danger, again, to our, our status quo, to the way we want to do things. See, I think the American church has a tremendously it's a huge idol of, of comfort. We want things our way. We even invented this thing called church shopping. That's how comfortable we want to be. So we go from church to church. We leave one church because they didn't do the things the way that we wanted them to do things. And we go from church to church and we find the church with the best children's ministry and the best cut grass. Come on, y'all, this is a thing. This is an idol of comfort. We have decided that the church is about us somehow. It's about our comfort. It's about our desires. It's about what we want and what we need. And it's in our core. Like this this is what the church on mission the dangerous church is dangerous to that idea of church we want to build church the way we want to build church from a very mono sense right we want it to be monocultural monoethnic monosocioeconomic we want it to look like us sound like us and smell like us so that we will be able to be comfortable right so, so we can massage that idol of comfort but when we jump in this dangerous church when we take risks for Jesus, when we're filled with the Spirit and decide we're gonna be obedient, that dangerous church is something that we find ourselves riding, it's it's like a a uh, a wave that we're riding on, and we decide once we ride on that wave, we can't go back to sleepy church. We can't go back to normal church, prevailing church. This is gonna be a metaphor that falls really short uh, but I have a Ford F-150. I drive a truck. Anybody else drive a truck in the room? Wow, only a few people are going to get me on this metaphor, okay? but uh, So I'll try to explain it really well. But truck owners will get me in their core. I drove cars my whole life, little cars, little whizzers. They whizz around the city, whizz. And then I have four kids, and I'm like, I better get an SUV, right? It was, this was at three kids. I better get one of those SUVs, all right? Because we ain't doing that. We're from, we're from New York, New Jersey. We ain't doing no minivan. You're not going to catch us in a minivan. Although it makes the most sense. My wife was like, well, I'm not driving one of those things, okay? So, so we go get one of those SUVs, and now I'm sitting up a little bit higher. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is nice, huh? You ever been in an SUV, and it's a little bit bigger, and you're like, oh. And then you get back in the car, and you're like, oh, all right? So then I sat in one of these trucks. I was borrowing a friend's truck. You know, that's the only bad thing about having a truck. People need to borrow your car. Every time they need to move something. Hey, buddy, you want to give up your whole Saturday for this, you know? So that's what I was doing. I was bothering my buddy, and he's like, just take the truck so I can live my life on a Saturday. He gives me the truck, and I'm driving this truck, and I'm like, oh, this is a thing. This is a real thing, okay? So... My wife's a travel nurse, praise God. She makes a lot more money than me. I got myself a truck, all right? I'm driving this truck, and the bigness of it, the way you sit like this. It's like a throne, guys. (laughs) You need to get yourself a truck. You're sitting in this throne, and these little Priuses, these little Toyota Priuses are getting out of the way. The way they need you to pull them out of the ditch that they're in. Like, once you go truck, you'll always be stuck. It's not a saying but it should be a saying at some point. You can coin me, you can trademark me on that. And once, once you sit in this truck, it's hard to go back to a little car. You're like, where's the rest of it? Why does it sound like a battery-powered lawnmower? I don't understand. Where's the oomph in this thing? Again, a metaphor that falls tremendously short, but at least tries to communicate this. Once you're a part of the dangerous church, this church on mission. This church full of radical love. This church alive. This church spirit filled. This church moving. This church making disciples who make disciples. This church taking risks. This church experiencing the presence of God as they're obedient to God. Once you're a part of this church, you can't go back. It's hard to go back. You start to think to yourself, where's the rest of it? Where's the power? Where's the oomph? Where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the obedience? This dangerous church, this church on mission, is the church that we visit in Acts 16. Before we get to the scripture, let me hang one more coat on your rack. Don't make the uh, comparison between First Alliance Church and the church in ancient Philippi. That is mostly an unhelpful practice. Because you are the church. You personally. Right? So if, you just, if we get this grand vision for this dangerous church and what church is supposed to look like and what it means to follow Jesus, we get this grand vision for that, and you decide, I'm going to blame First Alliance Church or Pastor Kirk or Pastor Donald or one of the pastors or Westgate or Lead Community Church or Visible Church. If you're just going to blame the broader church, you'll miss it. We'll all miss it. Because the church is you. I mean, think about it like this shirt. Maybe you think this is a dumb shirt. You're like, Justin, that's a terrible shirt. Okay, Blaming me is one level of accountability and ownership. Uh, Maybe you look at my tag. Please don't. I'm an introvert. I don't like a lot of people touch me. But maybe you you look at the tag, and you want to blame the company. Let's let's blame the company. That's one level of ownership and and accountability. But you know who we, we really need to make accountable to this? The designer. Right? Someone... Made up the actual shirt. Someone from its conception and idea, made up was the fabric of this actual shirt. They need the level of accountability. They need to own that this is a terrible shirt, okay? You're the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the priesthood of of all believers. You are the fabric of the church. And so, if you'll decide, and you'll decide, how do I own this? How do I become a? How do I become dangerous church fabric? Well, now we're getting somewhere. See, the church at large typically says, "I'm going to search the scriptures," which is a good effort and exercise, and it's exactly what we'll do today. But if at some point it doesn't go from you searching the scriptures to the scriptures searching you, then you've missed it. This is about the Holy Spirit convicting you, resurrecting you, bringing death to your old life and resurrection to your new life, right? And so, uh, hopefully you hang that up and, and know this is not about uh, the, the greater body, although we will talk about the greater body at times. Uh, we're going to pick it up right in the middle of Paul's missionary journey. Paul is traveling along along this trade route. Hopefully, if you're turning, you've turned there by now. Uh, he wants to share Jesus and uh, raise up some core teams and wreak some... Gospel Havoc, he's with a whole team, he's, he's with Luke, a physician and the writer, the most likely writer of Luke and Acts, and, and they're traveling along this, this trade route, he's with Silas, uh, they've been to Derby and Lystra already, they raised up Timothy, and, and they told Timothy they're going to send him out, and he's going to be the pastor, and, and and they also circumcised him, which is kind of messed up, you know, if you think about it, he's like, uh, you're going to be the new lead pastor of this church, and Timothy's like, aw, oh, and now I'm going to circumcise you. Oh, and it's the weirdest job interview. Now, that's another sermon for another time. He needs to do it be, so that uh, Timothy could be a, a, a better missionary. So, so they're getting stuff done, right? They, they go to, uh, excuse me, I, I lost my place. Uh, they're, they're really weird names, and I need to make sure I get them right. Uh, we're going to pick it up in Tros. Uh, And so they they go to Phrygia and Galatia. The Holy Spirit stops them from going west toward Asia, Asia Minor. We don't know exactly why. We just know that these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, They're living a compelling journey for Christ. They're being obedient. They're taking risks, and God is moving. They've been to Mycenae and now finally Tros, and Tros is where we pick it up. So setting sail from Tros, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, they're moving all over the place. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Now, this is not actually a leading city, okay? We think that, that Luke is just a fan of, of uh, Philippi because of their uh, they have uh, great works in, in the doctoral field. Uh, and maybe he roots for their, for their favorite sports team. The point is, he's just being a fan right now. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. All right? Best translated, this is where a prayer place was. They're looking for some Jews and Gentiles. They're going to gather together and hopefully teach them the gospel. And we sat down and spoke to the the women who had gathered there, who had come there. One who had heard us was named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, royal color, expensive fabric. She was a worshiper of God. So Lydia is our first core team member. First core team member. Lydia is not actually her name, by the way. I I came to find this out and I was pretty upset about the whole deal. Um, I almost named my kid Lydia because of this. Lydia is not her name. Thyatira used to be called Lydia. And therefore, they're basically saying she's a woman from Lydia. It's a a nickname, a woman from Lydia. It's like calling you Toledo, right? You really want to get on your spouse's nerves just one day, just be like, relax, Toledo, okay? Just get on their nerves. Just see how that goes. Don't text me about how that goes, okay? So this woman is a dealer in purple fabrics. This is a great trade route. In summation, she's a boss lady. She's got some people under her. She's got a whole household these people probably serve her they're part of her family all right and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized in her household as well she urged us, saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us what's that mean I mean she had food right that's that's my that's my theological guess is she had food she prevailed upon us She's like, we got bread and cheese. They're like, okay, you win, all right? So our first convert to the way or Christianity in Philippi is a wealthy Asian woman who's an influencer. She's a leader, and she's going to be dangerous church fabric. She's not going to be sleepy church fabric. Let me explain what that means before I move on because I really want to break apart what this dangerous church idea is. Again, I'm saying this with affection because if it's one thing that the American church needs, it's to be woken up. We're sleeping, y'all. We're sleeping. We build our nice buildings in the suburbs. We come and watch someone preach. We come and sing a few songs. It's mostly not your fault. It's mostly the leadership's fault that that we've gotten to this place. And then we go home. And it's my opinion that Satan largely just leaves us alone because we're not a big threat. We live in our idol of comfort, and he seems to be pretty okay with that. So he doesn't get stirred up because he's like, let's just, let's just leave them there. And in the quietness and the soberness of our prayer closet, of our thoughts, of our soul, of our God gut, we start thinking, is, is there more? Isn't there more? Will anybody be honest with themselves this morning? I've thought this. God, is there more? Do you want more from me? Do you want more surrender do you want more brokenness? Do you want more meekness? Do you want me to risk more, leave more? I think we've lost our sense of surrender. We've lost our sense of brokenness for our city. We've lost our sense that God can change a whole city. God can change this whole city. He can do it. But we've lost it. We've lost the idea that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, when he has a people that will risk it all. When he has a people who will be filled with his Holy Spirit, and they'll be the priesthood of believers, and they'll spread out and make disciples who make disciples. We've lost the idea, because we're sleeping. And this woman's not sleeping. Let me give you our first characteristic, because Lydia has this first characteristic. Number one, the dangerous church, the church on mission, is full of people breaking out of four walls. Lydia is just one of them. But the dangerous church, the church on mission, is full of people who were like, I don't need these four walls. These four walls are something, but they're not everything. This woman is going down to church. Let me just tell you about church real quick. There, there is no actual synagogue here in Philippi. The Roman emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome, and Philippi is a roman occupied territory, and therefore uh, she's, she's looking for a synagogue where there is no synagogue. So she's hoping that there's gonna be some sort of representation of God there, some sort of explanation of the scriptures. There is no actual actual synagogue service here because back in the day you needed 10 men. You needed 10 men to have an actual synagogue service. You know where she's at? I don't care. She's got her people, she's going down to the waterside, and her heart is I don't care. I'm trying to find God on the Sabbath, and I'm bringing people with me. I don't care that there's no synagogue. I don't care that there's no synagogue service. This this woman doesn't need four walls. She doesn't need Roman permission. She doesn't need an actual priest. She just needs some air and the scriptures. That's where she's at. And this isn't divisive of her. As soon as Paul opens his mouth as as an official representation of God, as some sort of clergy, her heart is prepared and ready. And she's open to the gospel. And as soon as she finds the gospel, she says, y'all need to come to my house. I got some meat. I got some cheese. I need to hear about this Jesus. My whole family needs to be converted. And then we need to go on mission. And it's the most likely condition, the most likely condition that this woman, her household is the first church, the first Christian church in Philippi. Y'all can tell me that there had to be a man there, or blah, 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 blah. No, this woman doesn't need four walls or anybody's permission. She needs Jesus. And she's bringing folk with her. Amen? How about you? Is your whole life with God based on these four walls? Is your whole life with God based on these four walls? Do you need these four walls? See, the dangerous church uh, changes people's lives, and they don't need four walls. And they don't need Pastor Kirk. By the way, Pastor Kirk leaving is a great exercise for you. Because you don't need him. You love him. By God's grace, he's served here a long time. He's a phenomenal shepherd, a phenomenal man. His wife is a phenomenal woman. But you don't need him. Because these four walls and these official priests and these official services are just part of your walk with Christ. And if you need Pastor Kirk to explain the scriptures to you and disseminate the scriptures for you, or else you can't do it for yourself, we're not going to go anywhere. But if you will realize that the Holy Spirit fills you and the Holy Spirit fills his scriptures, and you can now receive them yourself and then give them to others without anybody's permission. At some point, we got so worried about everybody being a heretic. No, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't go out and give someone the scriptures. You might be a heretic. You better go to school first. That was heresy. You are the priesthood of all believers. If you need Pastor Kirk to go into your neighborhood and share the word of God, we won't go anywhere. But if you, like Lydia, just say, I'm just looking for God. I just want to share God. I just want to open his scriptures together. How can we open the scriptures together? Now we're getting somewhere. If you need him to go to your job and be the representation of Jesus and be the priest at your job, we won't go anywhere. But if you will decide that you are the priesthood of all believers, and that cubicle and that office and those scriptures, those are yours. And so you can disseminate them and give them to other people, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. I usually have an iPad, and I know exactly where I am. I'm using paper today, and we're beyond paper at this point, aren't we, in our lives? But now I don't know where I am, and it's okay. We'll figure it out. All right. So that's our first one. Uh, the next one is uh, what happens when uh, when Jesus... Um, Ch- changes lives, and we're part of the, the, the missional church, we're part of the dangerous church, uh, what happens next is uh, Satan's hornet's nest is stirred up. Satan's hornet's nest is stirred up. Hmm. Um, expectation means a big deal. So I want to read this scripture that, that, that's uh, that's coming next, and uh, I, I want you to know that if you don't expect things, like like me personally, if I don't expect something and my wife springs something on me that day and she's like, actually, we're going to have to do the lawn, we're going to have to clean these things, and we're going to have to go to these three parties. If I don't have expectation, I get all flustered. Anybody else? But if I expect what God is going to do, if I expect what's happening that day, I prepare for it differently. If I expect for per- persecution, if I expect f- uh, for Satan's hornet's nest to be torn up and he start acting a fool, if I expect for something to go down, then, then I handle it differently. I pray differently. I have maturity about the situation. And so every- everything's handled differently. Could you put that next scripture f- uh, for me on the screen there so I could read it? As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners, much gained by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So here's this woman. She's in bondage to two things. She's in bondage not only to a, a, a divine spirit, uh, uh, she, but she's also uh, under, under the persecution of being a slave to these owners, all right? So two forms of slavery, and it's, it's a Pythian spirit. It's a Python spirit, okay? Basically, they, they called it one who speaks for the Python. But the way this happened is this woman is here, and she's sharing oracles for people. It's ba- she's basically like a carnival show. She's sharing people's future. And so the owners are making a lot of money. Uh, the, the the divine spirit is, is happy with it because she's under bondage in two forms. And I don't know if you saw it, but Paul wasn't really looking for this girl to be the next core team member. This isn't strategy by Paul. He's not like, oh, I can't wait to get this girl. She just keeps following him. And at some point, his britches get in a bunch, right? And he goes, come out in the name of Jesus. Go where you're supposed to go. And this woman is freed spiritually, and physically. And she becomes the second core team member of the church plant in Philippine. Y- y'all got to love church planting. Okay? So now we have a wealthy Asian fabric dealer, a fashionista, and a slave girl. She's free. So let's take a couple of side roads here. One, <laughs> some of us are only open to being healed from one thing, not two things. So sometimes you're only open to physical healing. That's what your theology allows. But you're not open to spiritual healing. You could have some form of oppression. You could have some spiritual woundings from your past. And you prayed for physical healing, but you've never prayed for spiritual healing. See, God wants you to die to your old life and be resurrected in a brand new life where you're healed from both. But maybe you're not open to both. The other thing that happens here, the other side road is this. When you're on mission, when you're being obedient to Christ, broken people will find you. Remember, Paul's not searching here, they're going to find you. Like, I recently just prayed um, to, to be more evangelistic, meaning be able to share the gospel more with people who don't know Jesus. I got a church job, and yeah, church jobs are great, and it's great. God called me to be a pastor. But I'm not around people who don't know Jesus enough. So I want to be around more people who don't know Jesus and I want to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus more often. So I prayed that. In three days, God put me next to people in significant conversations and I prayed a simple prayer. God, will you help me share the gospel with this person? Both times, these people were hungry for something and they opened it up. Like when you're on mission, when you're being obedient to the Spirit. Mission finds you. Broken people find you. So expect it. You know what else you can expect? Opposition. Opposition. Remember, expectations mean a lot. If you're expecting opposition, you'll probably handle it with some form of spiritual maturity. Like expect spiritual warfare. Because when you're part of the dangerous church, you basically drawn back your arrow, you shot a fiery arrow into Satan's camp. The whole hornet's nest is going to come alive. Expect it. Expect cultural backlash. You are now a follower of Jesus. You are now obedient to Jesus. Your boldness is going to offend people. The fact that, I mean, this is, this is we would have never said this 20 years ago. But the fact that you believe that God created a man and a woman is now going to be full of backlash. The fact that you now believe that a a you know a marriage is between a man and a woman is gonna create cultural backlash. And the immature person doesn't expect it. The immature follower of Jesus doesn't expect it and responds out of anxiety, out of fear, out of protection of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't need y'all's protection. I don't know about, I don't know if you know that. And we just start spewing venom at people we're online terrorists and we just start spewing disconnected venom with people that we're not even in a relationship with because we don't expect it we don't pray through it we don't show empathy we don't show love we don't show grace because we're not prepared We're like what is this cultural backlash that we're getting I don't know if you know this but throughout the scriptures it's just one big cultural backlash the other thing you can expect is persecution Read the Bible, y'all. It's just persecution. Every single one of his disciples are either hung upside down, burnt at the stake, or boiled in an oil vat and then sent to the island of Patmos. I don't know what's better, to survive that. I mean, it's just persecution. Expect it. And persecution is not someone voting different than you. Who needs to hear something this morning? It is not someone voting on a different side of the aisle than you. Persecution is someone attacking you for what you believe because you've been spirit-filled and bold and you've shared Jesus with people. And they don't like it. Because when you're resurrected, you're leaving death behind. And people don't like when you leave death in your trail. Y'all getting that one? Because when you're resurrected in brand new life, you die to a bunch of things and people tend to not like that. are upset with that Uh, case in point uh this girl's uh slave owners are upset because they were making money and now this woman has died to that life she's died to that spirit she's she's brand new in jesus christ she's free she's floating around the city she's now a part of this christian thing and they're like what gives and so you can expect persecution you can expect that it's going to stir up satan's hornet's nest and you, and you can expect there's gonna be some backlash. So this woman, now that she's with Paul, now that she's with the crew, uh, her people are like, let's do something about this. Her slave owners are like, let's do something about this. And so they get they get together, the Roman officials, and they start to beat Paul and Silas. I don't know if Luke is in that crew, but at least Paul and Silas are beat to shreds. We can expect some clubs, we can expect some, some, some black eyes, some broken ribs. And Paul and Silas are in prison. So they, they unfairly put them in prison. They look like they just got in a UFC fight. But they expected this. So at midnight, does anybody know the end of the story? At midnight, they're worshiping. They're not in there complaining about America. America's going to take our tax-free exempt status. Who cares? You think Jesus got some money? You think he can take care of this? They're not in there complaining about the culture. Complaining about uh, what happened to them and who doesn't like them and the fact that some of their friends are leaving. They're in there worshiping. They're in there worshiping. The Spirit of God fills them, and they're in there probably holding hands and worshiping and praising God that they stirred something up. It's working. The gospel is going for- forth. Ch- churches are being planted. They're praising God. So what happens is there's an earthquake. God sends an earthquake. We know it's a God earthquake because it, it breaks open their shackles, Okay. It's a very specific, targeted earthquake, breaks open the doors and their shackles, and the Roman jailer has this, oh, shoot moment. He's like, oh, shoot. Right, back in the day, if you're a Roman jailer under Roman occupation, and you let some prisoners out, it's not going to be a good day. So the Roman jailer decides he's going to take his own life before Paul and Silas stop him, and they give him the gospel. And the Roman jailer is now free. He's going to be under persecution, but he doesn't care. He says, let's go to my entire family. Let's let's bring them this good news. Last but not least, the dangerous church, this church on mission, will be messy. What do you get when you have a Roman jailer, a foreman, demon possessed slave girl, and an Asian fashionista? You get the church plan at Philippi. Can you imagine the first board meeting? What type of worship are we going to do? Who's leading Bible study? (laughs) What what type of outreach are we going to do? You think they're worried about the color of the carpet? What synagogue they'll meet in? That would be a mess. What they're concerned is is with, we're now resurrected. We now have a brand new life. Let's get this city brand new life. And it's one of Paul's favorite churches. And it creates a legacy that ripples all throughout the Roman province. (laughs) A slave girl, a fashion lady, and a, a Roman jailer. That's why I love church planning. God creates something out of nothing. But it takes a group of people that are willing to leave some things behind. If you want to be a part of the dangerous church, you're going to have to leave some safety. You don't get dangerous without leaving safety. And here's the thing I like about this moment in this room. The Holy Spirit can literally, the Holy Spirit can touch every single person differently. So right now, He can bring to mind exactly what you're finding too much comfort in. Right now, Holy Spirit can bring to mind exactly where you're living way too safe. And I know you're hungry like me. I know you want more. I know you know there's more to life in Christ than this. You know there's more to life in Christ than than going to a church service, than attending a church. You, You know that God has a radical love life for you to live out loud in front of other people so that they come to Christ too. It's in you. You know that you have radical generosity to give. You know that you have coworkers to share Jesus with. But only you know exactly what God is calling you to. See, I believe that today, and the worship team, come up up here and play slowly and uh, softly. Today, God is going to show you exactly what it's going to look like. And I believe that for some of you, you'll end up being missionaries in your city. For others of you, you'll be missionaries in another city. God will call you to full time missions. For some of you, God will call you to church planting. And you may say, well, we sent out Michael and we sent out Will. Yeah, but they need you personally. I know Pastor Kirk will be okay with me saying that. We, me and Kirk have a, a, a deep relationship. They need you personally. And those church plants will be messy, they will not look like how you want them to look. They will not have the people that make you feel comfortable. Your BFFs will not be there. It's all right, get coffee with them later. Because those church plants need you. They need believers to give. They need believers to go on mission with them. They need believers to run the budget. They need believers to, you name it. Be on the greeting team. I went to lead community church two times in a row. Both times my man Will didn't have batteries. So I go across the street, I get him some batteries. Church planting is messy. The dangerous church is messy. Also, Will has no, he has no uh, detailed bone in his body. So he ain't, no, he ain't gonna have no batteries, okay? They need you to get batteries. So, I mean, I could have just come here and talk about the specific church plants that we had. and But I wanted to talk to you personally because I don't know if you're called to be a part of those church plants or church planting in general. What I do know is God is calling you to the dangerous church on mission. So we're going to take communion now. And communion happens to be about death and resurrection. And we're going to talk about this. But Jesus, well, let's just go after it now. Jesus sits down with his disciples and he tells them, this is it. (laughs) My body is going to be broken. My blood is going to be shed. Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving all safety. And I'm dying to to this world. And so what is he asking you to die to and for? What type of safety, what type of comfort what type of spiritual pillow are you sleeping on that he's asking you to leave behind? Would you pull out these little funky things with me? I believe the bottom has the, the bread or the month-old cracker. You can peel that off. This is what Paul says as he as he quotes Jesus and he talks about uh, the Last Supper. He says in 11.23 of 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we take the as we take the bread. Were to be crucified with Christ. What do you want to crucify? What safety, what comfort, do you want to crucify? Here's here's what I want to offer of myself because I, I believe in I believe in honesty, authenticity from the pulpit. I've always been in full time ministry. You know five years after I gave my life to Christ, I've been in full-time ministry. I want to offer to Christ, maybe you want me to be bivocational. Maybe he doesn't. But I've been thinking about this lately. I just want to be around people who don't know Jesus more. So maybe that's something that God wants from me. So I'm going to give that to him in prayer. How about you? His body was broken. We're crucified with Christ. Would you close your eyes with me? Just have, just have 10 seconds. What do you want to offer him? Would you take the bread with me? Jesus, Whatever we're holding on to, whatever we need to give up, whatever we need to crucify, we offer to you. A bunch of my friends are in here. There's, there's no way I could know what's in their heart. But Holy Spirit, you know exactly what's in their heart. And we just crucify that along with you. You can open the cup. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood represents your your purifying. That Christ's blood was drained so that we could be pure and, and, and considered righteous in Christ. And so whatever you gave up, just know that Christ is with you. Know that he forgives you. Know that he purifies you. Why don't you close your eyes with me? Christ, we take this blood knowing that you forgive us for whatever idols we were holding on to, for whatever comforts we were holding on to. We know your presence is here to comfort us and love us and minister to us. And so we take this cup in remembrance of you. Go ahead. All right, you can open your eyes with me. Let's stand together. Christ has made a part of you new today. Christ's presence, his Holy Spirit is here today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not worship of condemnation. We have reflected. We have given something up. And the Holy Spirit can make us new. Amen. And so we worship filled with the Holy Spirit. We worship in new life. We worship with joy that we are a part of the dangerous church, that we are a work in progress for sure. We're a work in progress. I'm not saying that you're going to dance out of here and bring 10 people to Christ tomorrow. I'm not saying that. You could, because that's how good God is. But I'm saying you're new in Christ. He's made something new inside of you. And so let's worship like it. Amen? Amen.